Hello and welcome back. You're listening to the DLSS Picks Podcast, Episode 5. This one's for UFC Fight Night. Mackenzie Dern is taking on Marina Rodriguez in the main event. So we have that UFC card to give my picks for. And we also have a treat. We got Tyson Fury facing Deontay Wilder in their third meeting. This is the trilogy that nobody asked. Well, not nobody. I guess Deontay Wilder and his legal team asked for. But that's about it. But nevertheless, I'm really excited to see that fight go down as well. Both from Las Vegas, Nevada this Saturday. And it's pretty obvious the UFC wasn't trying to go head-to-head with World Championship boxing match. Especially these days. Uh, the heavyweights are drawing a lot of attention, especially Tyson Fury. And, you know, this UFC card does leave a little bit to be desired. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of hashtag just some fights. Shout out to the co-main event podcast for that reference. But, you know, don't sleep on it, though. As we've talked about in the past, sometimes these are the fight cards that end up being the most exciting in terms of the matchups. But not a lot of names, not a lot of name value, high ranks, uh, with exception maybe the main event. Uh, so we're going to get into it, give my picks. But before we do that, we got to do something very important because we're winding down the year, only a few months left. So we got to recap the points for the predictions challenge. Oh, shit. That's right, guys. Man, I've been fucking depriving you. I should have been giving you the points updates because this is actually super competitive. I think it's exciting. Coming down to the wire, there's only 10 weeks left, 10 events left to get points. Nate's still hanging on strong. He's got an 11 point lead. Still anybody's game, though. Nate's trailing me also by 11 points. But it only takes one or two good weeks to make a move, especially if someone else bombs that week. Pretty much the story of what Nate and I have been going back and forth the last few weeks. And the gap super hard to close when I'm only gaining one point. It sucks, but I've not been deterred lately. I've been crushing it on the best run of the year. Uh, but he's just, just as consistent, so it's pissing me off. And he already built a big lead earlier throughout the year, so really had to crack down and try to make up any sort of ground. But over the last few weeks, that's exactly what I've done. I've gone 43-16 and 16 over the last five weeks. 73%, 24 and 4 over the last two weeks, 83%. And I just need to keep this train rolling, and I can definitely bring home the gold. So, as of last week, and after another good showing by me, going 10 and 1 with one no contest, the point totals are as follows Nate leading the pack with 245 points. I'm trailing right behind at 234. Jose is pulling up the rear at 223. And Nate's in the lead with the overall year to date win loss record. And I'm only one behind him, but he's got 191 wins, 147 losses. Five draws and four no contests. So remember, guys, there's only 10 events left to get points with. So a very short amount of time. It's going to go quick. So a very little amount of time to close that gap. But we're going to start right now. I am coming for that gold. UFC fight night. Dern versus Rodriguez. 10 fight offering from the UFC Apex. Uh, That is relevant. Smaller cage. And now that it's Thursday, as always inevitably happens, we've had a few fights scrapped, one late notice replacement. So I'm actually happy that I waited until later in the week to go over my picks because nothing is more annoying than spending a fuckload of time researching and doing tape study on a fight that ends up getting canceled. But that's just the way it goes nowadays, I guess, and for the foreseeable future. So I guess it is what it is. Without any further delay, let's get into the picks. Starting from the bottom, the opening fight of the night, Steve Garcia, minus 320 favorite to Charlie Antiveros, plus 250 underdog. This is a really interesting matchup for me because like this is one of those I definitely want to see the weigh-ins for sure on this one before I make like an official pick. Uh, Antiveros' last fight, granted it was last minute notice, but it was it was against Kevin Holland of all people, and it was at 185 pounds. So this fight is at 155 pounds, and the majority of Antiveros' fights have been at 170 pounds. But that's not even the craziest part. The craziest part is that Garcia 
has actually fought as low as Bantamweight, 135 pounds before. So this is just, they're all over the place. And they're both newer to the UFC. Third fight for Garcia in the UFC. Second fight for Antiveros. Both coming off losses. Um, might be worth going for the underdog just because there's so many unknowns. I'm not sure, though. So I'm going to wait until the weigh-ins make it official. But for now, I guess I'm going to lean towards the favorite, Steve Garcia, in the opening fight. You know, barring something crazy at the weigh-ins, making me second-guess it. I think he is actually the better overall fighter. So for now, that's the way I'm going to go with that one. Steve Garcia gets it done. And then moving up the card, we have the minus 310 favorite, Lupita Godinez, versus the 220 plus 220 underdog, Silvana Gomez-Juarez. This is actually the one that had the last-minute replacement. This is uh, Lupita Godinez was actually already preparing to compete on this date, scheduled to face Sam Hughes. Sam Hughes had to pull out due to some sort of COVID protocol. I think it was someone in her camp. And in steps, Silvana Juarez making her UFC debut, coming in on a week's notice. So not the most ideal of circumstances, but we've seen this before. You know, sometimes you've got to do what you got to do to get your foot in the door. But if you take a look at it, Juarez actually does have an impressive regional scene record, 10 wins and 2 losses. And so technically she does have an overall experience advantage in terms of of uh, how many fights she's had because Godina's uh, total record is 5-1. and one. Also for Savannah Juarez, the only losses in her career have actually been to two fighters that ended up going on to become UFC fighters themselves in Ariana Lipsky and Pollyanna Botello. So with all that being said, this was actually kind of interesting for me because given the way that they actually size up on paper, if everything else was equal, you know, like if they both had a full camp to prepare for the specific opponent, you know, if you remove the additional pressures of making a, you know, UFC debut for Juarez, like, I, I would be inclined to actually go with the underdog in this spot. But, however, my initial gut feeling was that the late notice and pressure of a UFC de- debut would probably, you know, result in a diminished Juarez. You know, you don't necessarily perform to your most capability when you're, you know, extremely nervous. Some people handle it a little bit different. Granted, it is the apex, so it's not a full T-Mobile arena, so that's obviously playing in her favor. But we do see it time and time again where sometimes... They're unable to perform uh, at their best, which, you know, would likely result in a decision victory in this case for Godinez. So that's what I originally thought, and so I'm going to stick with that on this one. And then we have Damon Jackson, minus 180 favorite, versus Charles Rosa, plus 155 underdog. And this one's simple, guys. Charles Rosa, all the way back since 2014, this guy has actually alternated wins and losses in entire his entire UFC career. And he's coming off a win last fight, so you know we got to go with the small favorite, Damon Jackson, to get it done in this spot. And that brings us to big boys, Alexander Romanoff, minus 675 favorite versus Jared Vandera, which is a plus 475 underdog. This one is a heavyweight slot fest. One of those fights, like just like last week, where the MMA gods are just begging you to say, there's no way this one's going to decision, just so they can spit right in your fucking face and remind you Truly anything can happen in MMA, including a sloppy, heavy-breathing, heavyweight fight going all three rounds. And so I think that's probably what's going to happen in this fight if they don't take each other out super early. This one's a clear clash of opposing styles. Romanoff, he has a dominant ground game, but not much of a striking arsenal. And Vanderer, he's coming in there to throw them bungalows every which way possible. The sloppier, the better for this guy. And Vanderer is coming off a unanimous decision win over Justin Taffa back in May of this year. So only about four and a half months removed from his last fight. And Romanoff, he actually fought just about, I think, a month prior to that. And he had a a split decision win over Juan Espino. So this fight, pretty clear cut. If you ask me, whoever imposes their game early uh, is most likely going to run over their opponent relatively easy. 
given they're both pretty limited in terms of their overall skill set in MMA, or it's going to go late and they're both going to be extremely tired and I'm going to be going and getting a snack for the second and third round. But I only need, I know it's heavyweight. It only takes one, so not the most confident pick of the night. But I'm going to go. I'm going to back the favorite in the, again in this one, and I think Romanov eventually does get it to the ground, uh, weathers the early storm, and ends up getting the win. And moving on, the next one, the minus two fifty favorite Chris Gutierrez versus Felipe Colares plus two hundred underdog. This one's I don't know. I think this one's going to go the way of Chris Gutierrez in this one, but. The interesting thing is this is a bantamweight fight, 135, and Gutierrez has kind of flip-flop back and forth between 145 and 135 as of late. His last fight was actually at a catchweight against Andre Uhl, so that's something to be uh, to take a look at in terms of on the scale. Uh, but Felipe Calares, 10-2 versus 16-3, Chris Gutierrez. Chris Gutierrez has uh, almost four and a half strikes landed per minute to the 2.15 landed per minute for Calares. Uh, but Kalaris does have two takedowns average per 15 minutes. So uh, hopefully that 60% takedown accuracy, I'm sorry, 73% takedown defense for Gutierrez can hold up and he can keep this on the feet. And if he does, I think he gets the win here. So I'm going to go with another favorite, Gutierrez, to get it done. And then we have another one that's really interesting. Like All these ones so far have been very interesting to me in terms of their sizes, people that are coming from different weight classes to meet somewhere in the middle, some people that used to fight at other weight classes. So just the size and frames, like I'm always someone who pays attention to the weigh-ins, but this particular fight card has a lot of really interesting uh, contrasts of frames and, and body types. But that leads me to the next fight, which is Phil Haas, minus 305 favorite versus the plus 260 underdog, Duran Wynn. And if you guys aren't familiar with Duran Wynn, he's the guy that they give way too much credit when they call him mini DC you know, he's short for the weight class like DC is, notoriously short. Uh, he's a wrestling-heavy game plan, fights at an AKA, trains with the high school kids at Gilroy. In terms, I think he's a coach over there to, uh, for wrestling. And this guy's normally already up against it in terms of, uh, you know, fighting at middleweight with a 70-inch reach and being 5'6". But in this case, it's even more of an uphill battle because he's fighting Phil Haas, who's 6 feet tall, so 6-inch height advantage, 77-inch reach, 7-inch reach advantage, and every bit of the 185-pound weight limit when he weighs in, he's probably going to be over 200 pounds on the night. This guy is a physical specimen. He's on a four-fight winning streak, only hasn't lost since 2017, and coming off a unanimous decision win over Kyle Dawkins, who we all just saw how he was uh, sizing up in the early portions of that fight against Kevin Holland. So I'm going to go with the favorite, Phil Haas, to get it done, I think, just going to be too much of a mountain to climb for uh, Duran winning this one. But I'm sure going to be sweating because there is a path to victory for Duran Win If he can just get underneath those power shots, if he can weather that storm early because he doesn't have to cut a lot of weight being small and because Phil Haas is cutting a fuck ton of weight being gigantic for the weight class, if he gets past the seven and a half, eight minute mark later in the second into the third round and Duran Win is still relatively fresh in comparison to Phil Haas, then we're going to see how sometimes muscles end up being what drowns yourself because of how much oxygen they need. And we're going to see Duran Wynn come back for potentially a late finish. I don't want that to happen. I'm going to be sweating if we're in the later rounds. But I'm going to say the 11-2 and two favorite Phil Haas comes out on top and gets the win here. Moving along, the next one we have women's flyweight. Sabina Mazo, minus 195 favorite versus Maria Agapova, plus 165 underdog. This is actually one of the couple fights on this card that I've been really flip-flopping on 
I do think that there's value on the underdog Agapova here. And I hate to sound like a broken record, but I am going to wait to take a look at the weigh-ins for this one. But uh, I, I do have a lean towards the favorite, Sabina Mazo. I think at the end of the day, she is the overall better fighter. So uh, for the pick on this one, I'm going with Sabina Mazo to get the win. Next one, Mateus Nicolau versus Tim Elliott. Nicolau minus 200 favorite to the plus 170 for Tim Elliott. If you guys don't remember, Tim Elliott won the Flyweight Ultimate Fighter Tournament back in the day and almost beat Demetrius Johnson in their fight. He's actually been a wild man for most of his career, but recently been fighting at a glory MMA and fitness under James Krause. He's looked a lot more measured, a lot more responsible. He looks in phenomenal shape. He's leaned out. His gas tank is great. He's a, He has a motor. He continues to just push the pace. He's a durable-ass fighter. So uh, it's going to be a tough fight for Nicolau, but I think he's sharper, crisper, on the way up, fresher, and uh, you know you understand kind of what you're going into when you go into a Tim Elliott fight. So I think Nicolau is going to be prepared, and I think he's going to ultimately end up getting the decision victory here. So going with Mateus Nicolau for the win. Randy Brown, minus 235 to Jared Gooden, plus 190. This one, another one I'm flip-flopping on. I think Gooden has that lights-out power. He's a, another unit of a man. And, you know, he could easily take out Randy Brown. I, unfortunately, you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but Randy Brown has so much, somewhat of a reputation for being kind of chinny. His last fight, you know, he proved a lot of doubters wrong in that one. And he ended up coming out on top versus a very tough opponent. But, you know, he is known also for getting knocked out from the bottom when Nico Price hammer-fisted him from the back or from his back. And so, you know, a lot of people remember Randy Brown from that situation. And it may be a little bit unfair and not necessarily accurate. So uh, this is a tough one for me. He's a pretty big favorite in this in this fight, minus 235. So it, maybe the line could be a little bit closer. But other than, I mean, I think Randy Brown is the rightful favorite. And I think he's going to end up getting it done in this one. So Randy Brown for the win. And now we have the main event, Mackenzie Dern, minus 170 favorite to Marina Rodriguez, plus 145 underdog. Now, this one is actually one, if not the most difficult fight for me to make a pick for on the entire card. Mackenzie Dern, obviously coming in with her elite level jiu-jitsu and submission skills. Uh, she doesn't have the best takedown percentage. Uh, she only got a 10% takedown accuracy, but even with that, she still managed to secure four subs out of her six wins in the UFC, and her overall record is 11-1 in MMA, only losing to Amanda Hebos, which we'll definitely talk about here in just a second. But lately, she's been training with Jason Perillo. And over the past few fights, not only have we been able to see a visible progression and notice a significant improvement with her boxing skills, but I also I feel like it's we've seen mostly uh, an uh, a improvement with her mentality, too. When she has more of a willingness to exchange, she's staying calmer under fire. And I think, better said, I think overall, she's just noticeably more comfortable on the feet with her improved striking abilities. And that really has contributed to an overall confidence boost in her entire game, right? And, you know, with the ability to feel like you can hold your own on the feet and be dangerous everywhere, that really helps uh, uh, shift your mentality. And the, that shift in mentality, I think, is both a great thing in terms of her rounding out her game and also at the same time, it might be the exact thing that could possibly end up being her downfall in this fight against Marina Rodriguez. So let me explain. I think... Uh, McKenzie's willingness to try and display her new and improved striking has in the recent past actually gotten her into some trouble. We saw that in her recent fight at UFC 256 against uh, Verna Janjaroba. 
after getting she got tuned up on the feet a bit and she got her nose busted up and she was actually you know she was able to push through and she was able to you know get through that injury and uh, overcome it and secure a decision victory but if she tries to approach this fight with the same game plan of like let me try to see how this goes on the feet and if i have to i'll use my ground game that's not gonna go well for her i don't feel like in this matchup and now i'm not saying she can't win but if she comes into this fight expecting to mix things up with Marina Rodriguez on the feet, then she's making this fight a hell of a lot more difficult than it needs to be for her. And if past this prologue over the last few fights, it does seem like you see Mackenzie Dern trying to stand uh, with her opponents for a while and mix things up. And obviously, you know, you don't want to go shooting desperate takedowns, especially when you don't have the highest success rate. So, you know, she's, she's going to approach this fight, I feel like, in a very similar way. She's going to try to stand on the feet with her and force a scramble, maybe up against the fence or just, again, in some sort of scramble, uh, try to take her back or try to take her down and you know implement her jujitsu because that's where she has a uh, distinct advantage in this fight. But Marina Rodriguez is a 62% takedown defense. Uh, contrast that, like I said, with Dern's 10% takedown accuracy. Um, Rodriguez has a 2-inch height and 2-inch reach advantage. She's almost got five strikes landed per minute at 4.89, and she uh, only absorbs 3.24, which is kind of high, but it's still a plus 165 striking differential, which is good. And she's one of the hardest hitters in the division by far. She has excellent Muay Thai skills. She's great in the clinch. She's got dangerous knees and elbows, strong hips, and really good takedown defense, especially up against the fence. And Marina's only loss in the UFC came to Carla Esparza, who's been looking great as of late, who's really revamped and built herself back up and who a lot of people thought deserved actually the next title shot against Rose before they announced the Wiley Zhang rematch. So she's up there and that's the only person that Marina Rodriguez has lost to in the UFC. And she's coming off a two-fight winning streak with her most recent win being a five-round main event performance against uh, Michelle Watterson where she outstruck her opponent over the course of five rounds landing 125 significant strikes over you know an elusive Michelle Watterson and so she's been she's in the five-round club she's been able to pace herself and manage a five-round fight and before that she had a powerful performance where she knocked out the surging Amanda Hebas who is actually the only sole owner of an MMA win over Mackenzie Dern like I mentioned earlier in her entire MMA career so yeah a little bit of MMA math there but uh, I'm gonna go with the underdog Marine Rodriguez in this spot for Mackenzie Dern, all in all, I think that the one thing is missing from her game now that, you know, now that she's shown major improvements in her stand-up, the one thing she needs to work on, I feel like, is the wrestling department. I've said it many times in MMA before that the ability to have um, the fight take place in the realm that you're most comfortable and therefore most dangerous is critical. And especially in a stylistic matchup that favors your opponent on the feet, Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialists are at a disadvantage in MMA if they haven't been developing their wrestling game as well. And yes, there are creative ways to get it to the mat or to get it into the jiu-jitsu department that don't involve wrestling-style takedowns. We've seen Damian Maya and others been able to find you know creative ways of getting it down to the mat. But uh, if jiu-jitsu practitioners, if they aren't able to get to the fight to the mat safely and consistently, then uh, they end up not being able to impose their most dangerous weapons and can end up being stuck on the feet with someone who's most comfortable on the feet. So when it comes down to it in this matchup, I feel like that, that deficiency I see in McKenzie's game, that technical deficiency, 
as well as her eagerness to show off the hard work. Like, don't get me wrong. She's been putting in hard work in the gym uh, with Perillo, but her eagerness to show off that hard work, you know, couple that with the weapons that Marina Rodriguez is bringing to the table in this matchup, uh, what she can do on the feet and her respectable takedown defense to this point, especially up against the fence, I think, you know, it makes sense for me. I think there's value there. I'm going to go against the grain and go with the underdog, Marina Rodriguez, to come out on top. And I think if she doesn't find that clean shot that really puts McKenzie Dern on ice skates, you know, that's tough to do. We've seen that McKenzie is definitely quite durable over her career. So if Rodriguez isn't able to catch her with something significant like that, then we may have end up uh, seeing a five-round chess match take place. But either way, I'm going to go with the underdog, Marina Rodriguez, and I'll go by unanimous decision. But that's it for UFC Fight Night, Dern versus Rodriguez. Before I let you guys go for this week, we got one more. Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder 3, the trilogy. I'll just tell you straight off the top, Tyson Fury, sixth round, TKO is my prediction. I just don't see a path for victory for Wilder, especially with the reported 20 additional pounds of lean muscle that Fury's camp has stated that they put on for this fight. They're claiming Tyson will be close to 290 pounds in the ring. And Wilder just, he can't outbox Tyson. And after their last fight, in my opinion, Tyson proved that Deontay can't bully him around or threaten Fury with his power the same way he's been able to do with every one of his other opponents. And that's kind of his his thing. That's what he needs to do to have success. But the only way that he makes it happen is if he finds somehow a way to control the pace and control the space in a way that keeps Tyson from walking him down and making him fight off the back foot, which is what we saw in the second fight. And Tyson's just too slick and he's too smooth, like naturally. That's just how he moves naturally after so many years of fighting that style and now after holding multiple camps with sugar hill and he's added that new wrinkle to his game of being able to impose his size and fighting like the bigger guy like so i repeat deontay can't outbox tyson fury showed in the last fight you don't want to stand and brawl with him either so i think tyson gets it done inside the distance and like i'm not trying to be disrespectful but if wilder even takes him to a decision like he won't win but if, if wilder makes it the distance like I'll be surprised. I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm not doing a bit, but I'll honestly be surprised. And I'll have to admit that significance were uh, improvements were made from the last fight to this one. And in a way, I guess that's kind of a, a small moral victory, but I know that they're not here for that. They're coming for blood. He obviously wants to win. So I'm really excited, and uh, you best believe I'll be checking this fight out Saturday night. So I hope you guys enjoyed the breakdowns and my picks. Make sure to come back soon. We got more episodes coming your way. Obviously, next week we'll be recapping all the action from the UFC card and the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder trilogy. And we'll look ahead to next week. We have another UFC Fight Night card coming. They just keep rolling on. Interesting main event that was just announced. Obviously, Aspen Ladd missing weight last week was now uh, slotted into a main event uh, two weeks later against Norma Dumont. So keep a lookout for that, all that, and more next week. But for now, we're done. I'm through. Thank you guys so much for joining me. But until next time, enjoy the fights.